Hello, non-binary pals, guys, gals, any pets who may be listening, just, hey, what's up? This is a podcast called Science and Podcast, hosted by me, Madison Dix, and... Me, Jared Adelman. Yes. If it's your first time here, welcome. What we do here is we take the headache out of peer-reviewed scientific literature. Mm-hmm. Essentially, every single week, uh, either I or Madison, or sometimes there's uh, some weird weeks where we bring like a bunch of papers in, but generally one of us brings a paper in, uh, we demystify all the jargon, and talk about it in a way that uh, didn't give us the headache that we got reading the paper. Exactly. We break it down for you. We mm-hmm. make it easy. And we also go on a lot of rabbit holes and make a lot of jokes. Oh, there's a lot of tangents. It's fun. Uh, we hope you like it. And if you have been here before, welcome back. Hi, guys. So, Madison, what are we talking about this week? That's a great, great question. So, this week, we are going to be talking about social psychology. Okay. And the title of the article I have brought for you, which is published in Frontiers in Psychology, is The Impact of Workplace Health Promotion Programs Emphasizing Individual Responsibility on Weight Stigma and Discrimination. Okay. Um... I do not expect you at all to bring us something like this because we're usually such about like the, the uh, biology and the physics. Um, mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Going out of left field. Interesting. Yeah. I do. I have like a special place in my heart for sociology and psychology. So I thought we'd get a little more human centric this week, which usually we are way far away from the humans. <laughs> Animals, invertebrates, like anything. But um, it's good to center her back every once in a while. Exactly. So here we are. But of course. Before we discuss the meat and bones of the article, we have to do our fun fact corner. Oh, yeah. Uh, Would you like to go first, or shall I? Uh, I can go first, but I want to let our listeners know um, it is the day after Halloween that we are recording this, and so we decided to do a spooky fun fact corner for you. Mm -hmm. So these are going to be spooky fun facts, and no, they will not have anything to do with the article. They never do. Never have. It also means that neither of us are hungover, and I don't know why you would ask that. Not Um, at all! So let's just move on. My Um, voice isn't an octave lower. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) What's your fun fact, Madison? Alright, so my spooky fun fact is the average person in their lifetime will walk past about 36 convicted murderers. Holy crap. Yeah. Does this... I imagine it differs from, like, a person living in, like, uh, like, the Shire-type area to, like, a city, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, like, the the math they did to do it is, like, all about averages, and so it's, like, how many, on average, how many people you walk past in your lifetime, and on average, um, what, well, not on average, exactly, what percentage of the population is convicted for murder. So <laughs> it's, like, very broad, um, like... The average, like, the per- a person living in a small town is probably, like, maybe one murder, and, like, in a city, probably more, I guess. But, yeah, 36. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I wonder how many I've already walked past. I know this is, like, statistics and, like, averages, mm-hmm. but I wonder how many murderers I've already seen and just had no goddamn idea. Well, if we go with statistics and averages, and you're about a quarter of the way through your life, um, <laughs> <laughs> then that would be, uh, like, nine Jesus. Yeah. That's a, kind of exciting. A little bit scary. Yeah. Um, I haven't been murdered yet, so I, I guess we're doing something. That's right. the good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of us have done anything to offend the murderers, hopefully. If you're a murderer and you're listening, please no. Please don't. <laughs> please stop. Okay. Wrong podcast. This yeah. is just science. No murders. Just no murders here. Uh, how about you, Jared? <laughs> What's your fun fact? So, uh, my fun fact, uh, comes from, uh, experience I had about a month ago where I was walking a dog, uh, in the town that I 
don't really need to say the name of. I don't know why I was going to. Spooky. Cough, Arlington, cough. Halloween Town. So I start looking inside. Uh, there, There's this, like, cobblestone wall. Um, and me liking spiders, I'm usually just kind of staring at all the cracks, ho hoping to find something. Um, I found several individuals uh, that were probably spiders and looked like this. Oh! So Madison, what are we looking at? Oh! It's like it's like a little white orb with like what looks like the elder wand coming out of it all around. So like, those are legs. Okay, so it is it is a spider. It okay. is a spider. It's like a pure white spider. It's like if. It's like a glowing skeleton of spider. So imagine if uh, humans could get a sort of fungal infection where it uh, not only starts eating its way inside your body, but when it's ready to fruit and start growing outside, um, it literally covers your entire torso. Um, you're still alive. You can still walk around. Uh, you, you can still re re respond to uh, stimuli, but it's still just kind of slowly eating your insides and outsides uh, as the uh, spore spread. Oh. So that's what happened to those spiders. Um, oh, okay, good. I was I thought you were about to tell me that that spider can give a human that fun. No, 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 no. I was like, <laughs> back away from the wall. Why'd you get close enough to it to take that picture? <laughs> oh my god. So, um... What, there's every indication that basically um, if one spider gets gets infected and there's a bunch of ones around it, uh, they're basically going to get infected because the spores are going to sp spread on the wind. Uh. Um, but there are actually two species of fungus that end up turning cellar spiders, uh, the ones that we were looking at, into a very similar death snowball, which are, I, I just really like the names, we have okay. Engiodontium arenearum. Um, Sounds like a spell that would get rid of spiders. <laughs> Yeah, that's fitting. Erinatatium. Oh, I didn't run. We'll just uh, put you in saying that right. All right. Great. And then the other one is Terubiella polvinata. That one sounds like a dance. Sounds like an ass? A dance. Oh. A dance, Jared. Does not sound like an ass, no. but a dance. Yes. <laughs> I love when we're on the same page. So great. <laughs> wow, that is nutty. Yeah, so that's my gnarly Halloween fun fact. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So, like, you took a picture of the spider and you already knew about the fungus, or, like, you posted it on one of your groups and someone was like, listen to me. So, I remember seeing pictures of this, like, going back, like, 10, 15 years, and uh, kid me just not accepting it as reality, because, like, how the hell could that ever be a spider? And then, as, as I started going a lot more into insect ID over the past year or so, I started seeing other things that, that uh, people were posting and, and getting identified as just this death fungus, uh, which, of course, made me uh, investigate more, and here we are. All right. So it was kind of funny. Um, I saw a post uh, of someone trying to get a, a fungus spider ID'd, and then I guess I sort of manifested it because three days later I found that uh, just kind of wall full of them. Oh my goodness. Here you have it, folks. Manifesting works if it's about spiders. And death fungus. Spooky, scary skeletons. What a fun fact corner. Now we're going to stroll on over to the jargon corner, which is where we pull out concepts, words, etc. from the article. Um, that are particularly sciencey, um, and we break them down just to make sure we're all on the same page. So, the jargon corner. I'm there. Our first item in the jargon corner. Jared Adelman, what is a workplace health promotion program? I would guess something that an employer would do to try to, I guess, increase the health of his workers, his or her workers. Yeah, exactly. It's something that's become increasingly popular when employers basically incentivize healthy behaviors. So it can be something... Super practical, like a flu shot clinic. Bring that. That's technically a workplace health promotion. Helps those workers get their flu shot. Interesting. Um, but most of them aren't that. Most of them do actually center on weight. So this is from the CDC, which is all about workplace health promotion programs. Mm -hmm. 
The use of effective workplace health promotions and policies can reduce health risks and improve the quality of life for 138 million workers in the United States. Damn. Um, and they list the things that these programs can do as influencing social norms, establishing health-promoting policies, increasing healthy behaviors such as dietary and physical activity changes, improving employees' health knowledge and skills, helping employees get necessary health screenings, immunizations, and follow-up care, and... Wait, wait, wait. What the hell is a health skill? Oh, um, I don't know, like, brushing your teeth, maybe? I guess you can be good at that. That's such an odd way to say that. You're right, a health skill. What else would be a health skill? I'm really good at being a cleric. Um, I can put my healing hands on folks. That's D&D. That's not life. Okay. <laughs> Moving forward. Um, and reducing employees on the job exposure to substances and hazards that can cause disease and injury. Yeah, that's important. Don't have asbestos in your office. Definitely not. Gosh dang it. You know what that does now. Yeah. All right, so that's a workplace health promotion program. They're very in right now, have been since the 90s. Oh, here's an example of one, like in the office. You remember the episode or episodes where they're doing the weight loss challenge? Oh, of course. Yeah. Michael was growing his uh, goatee. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's a perfect example of what these are and what they really look like in an American office. Right, which means that someone is going to get singled out and feel uh, bad. Yeah, that's what this whole study is about. Okay, cool. Um, next, for jargon... Um, overweight slash obese. I think obese as a term is directly tied to the body mass index, yep, right? So sure obese is. would be above a healthy BMI? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so overweight and obese are the two that are considered unhealthy on the heavier side of the scale, and then underweight would be unhealthy on the lighter side of the scale. So there's a real fucking fine line, but like what you can be. like. Yeah. Here's the thing about these terms and the BMI. Okay, do you know what the BMI is actually based off? It's a person's weight in kilograms divided by the square of their height in meters. That is it. So just the bare minimum of science. That's yeah. two equations to determine your entirety of your health? That's absurd. Yeah, it's insane. And it's used in all of these, like, so many of these health place promotion programs and also in, like, the presidential fitness challenge. And, like, it is thrown at us over and over again where we are on the BMI. So... Just for fun, I calculated my BMI, uh, which, by the way, does not measure body fat directly or anything like that. It's literally just your height divided by your weight. Um, and if your BMI is less than 18.5, you're underweight. If your BMI is from 18.5 to 25, you're healthy. Okay. If your BMI is 25 to 30, you are overweight. And if your BMI is 30 or above, it's obese. And I'm just going to put a big old allegedly... <laughs> over all of that. So my BMI is uh, 26, <laughs> which means I am overweight. Madison's not overweight, guys. I'm so small. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I have always been overweight or obese on this scale so since I, would, I was a kid. So I would definitely be obese, but I'm not going to trust my uh, real-time math skills. I don't know, though, because you're really tall. What is it? Centimeters divided by kilograms? Um, so it's your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. Height? Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, uh 32. So yeah, you're technically obese. Oh, Jesus. Damn. And you're not! You're a very normal-looking man. Thank you. <laughs> like... <laughs> I feel pretty normal. Yeah, like, you have about as much belly fat as I do. I should hope so, because I do walk, ended up walking, like, 15, 20 miles a goddamn day with my job, so yeah, uh, they're calling me obese while I do that. Interesting. Yeah, so obviously, Too the off. scale is flawed AF. Super flawed. 
That's BMI busted. <laughs> All right, moving forward. Body mass Swash index, it. more like body manure. I guys. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Title of this episode. Uh huh. <laughs> All right, moving forward, stigma. What's a stigma? Stigma is, it's tied to a stereotype. Yeah, it's really similar to a stereotype. Um, some stereotypes aren't wholly negative, um, you know? I mean, they're kind of annoying, but stigmas are always bad. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. It's a, basically, a stigma is a rejected stereotype. Huh? So... I'll just read the definition. It is an attribute, behavior, or reputation which is socially discrediting in a particular way. It causes an individual to be mentally classified by others as an undesirable, as a rejected stereotype rather than an accepted normal one. So a stereotype that is rejected is what that was. Yes. Okay. I'm stupid and thank you for clarifying. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you're not stupid, but yeah, no problem. <laughs> Um, my favorite definition of stigma that I found was from Irving Goffman, who is a researcher, and he says, stigma is a process by which the reaction of others spoils normal identity. That's fitting. I love that. Like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Exactly. Some of the negative effects of stigma, um, feelings of shame, hopelessness, and isolation, reluctance to ask for help or to get treatment, lack of understanding by family, friends, or others, Fewer opportunities for employment and social interaction, bullying, physical violence or harassment, and self-doubt, which is the belief that you will never overcome your illness or be able to achieve what you want in life. Jesus. Yeah. Stigma's bad. Like, uh, the thing that always pops into my head when I think about stigma is mental health stigma. Mm -hmm. So for much of human history, people who had any sort of mental health like condition who needed any sort of help with that were highly stigmatized. Pretty so much like, vilified. Outright. Exactly. So like women would be called like hysterical, right. for example. You know what that word like actually means? Yeah. It means that your uterus is flying around your body. I know. Because men are stupid. <laughs> What's wrong with her? I don't know. Her uterus must be flying around her body. Like, was that science back then? Jesus. This was coming right out of the guy that was like, we have four liquids and you have to bleed to balance them. Oh, um, that was like pretty soon after that. So bad. So bad. What were you thinking, Galen? Yeah, um, stigmatizing is bad. It has a lot of undesirable effects. Um, and, oh, addiction is also super stigmatized. Oh, of course. And one of the problems with things being stigmatized is that it causes, like, the society you're in to basically turn its back on you, mm -hmm. which means if it's a thing that you need help for and you need community support for, you're not going to get it. Shaming people is not an effective way to change behavior. Not really. If you shame someone, it only causes them to hide the undesirable behavior. It does not make them stop it. True. Yeah. Understandable. All right, moving forward. Um, this last piece of jargon <laughs> is different from the others. M-Turk. Oh, I almost did this. Um, is this like the Amazon mechanical... Yeah. Mechanical Turk? Mechanical Turk. Which is like, uh, they pay you like three cents to do this survey that um, for some reason only you can do. Yeah, it's a crowdsourcing website for businesses. Um, uh, so they use it to hire remotely located crowd workers to perform discrete on-demand tasks that computers are currently unable to do. However, scientists are starting to use it to gather really broad sample sizes for survey studies. And that's pretty cool because it means that the people in the study are not all from the same college or the same region or even the same country. And sure. uh, MTurk also gives you like all the demographic data of the people who are participating. One of the things that gets psychological studies labeled as like soft science or like unreliable is the heavy reliance on surveys yeah. and the 
very well-studied tendency of people to lie on surveys <laughs> yeah. or try to, like, beat the system. Yeah. Yeah. So they did a lot of work to counteract that, which I very much appreciate. Absolutely. Yeah. Gives more validity to the study. Exactly. And this study is super cool. Let me tell you a bit more about it. Um, so as I already said, the title, but I have not told you, the researchers. <laughs> so this is a collaboration from three different researchers. The first being Suzanne Tauber, who is an associate professor at the University of Groningen in the Department of Human Resource Management and Organizational Behavior. Cool, cool. Yeah, and Groningen is in the Netherlands, by the way. So her background's in social psychology, and she has a particular interest in how moral motivation affects intergroup processes. How the moral standards of a group affects how people work together within a group. Cool stuff. Next, we have Letitia Mulder, who graduated with a degree in social psychology from the Free University in Amsterdam. So again, the Netherlands. And um, she has her PhD in the Department of Social and Organizational Psychology at Leiden University. The name of her dissertation I really love, so I put it in here. It is Throwing Light on the Dark Side of Sanctions. Ah, I like that. Right? Pretty cool. So she's super focused on the effects of sanctioning systems in social dilemmas. And then we have Stuart Flint, who is an associate professor of psychology uh, of the psychology of obesity at the University of Leeds. Cool. Seems like a thing that a lot of people are studying. Exactly. A lot of people study obesity as an epidemic, especially in the U.S. So he's really looking at the psychology of people with obesity instead of looking at how they affect the world around them. Is this like my obesity or like actually obese people? <laughs> that I don't know. Interesting. Because um, I don't feel that bad about my weight. Good. To be totally honest. You shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't. Gosh dang it. I don't feel bad about mine either. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. So... Um, where is this study coming from? Basically, workplace health promotions continue to be on the rise, and this study is looking into basically whether that's a good thing. Most previous research on workplace health promotion programs focuses on the employer's perspective. How effective are these programs? How can they save a business money? Um, how can you make sure everyone participates? And more than anything else, the productivity benefits. Seems kind of backwards to be asking the employer all this. Yeah. So this research is different, and it 100% focuses on the effects of these programs on the employees. Not their physical well-being, but their mental well-being, oh, okay. and how they affect the way they think about their health and how much control they have over it. Gotcha. So that's pretty cool. So the big question that this paper is trying to answer with these three studies is do workplace health promotion programs inadvertently facilitate stigmatization? Probably. And discrimination? Most definitely. Of people with overweight in the workplace. Oh, I should have waited for you to finish, but also yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're specifically focusing on that. My prediction does not change. Mm-hmm. What do you think, listeners? We will find out. So this question turned into three separate studies, which are summarized hereafter. So study one is asking if the presence of a workplace health promotion program is associated with increased attributions of weight controllability, which is a fancy way of saying, are employees at workplaces with these programs more or less likely to perceive weight as something an individual has control over? Speaking personally, I'd be like, no. Um, yeah. That would have no effect on my idea of my weight. But I, uh, I would probably have to guess yes. That would be something that would have a lot of people thinking that. 
All right, so Jared hypothesizes, yes, workplace health promotions probably make people think that they can control their weight. All right. Oh, wait, no. No, I think the opposite. Okay. You think it makes them think they have no control? Right, because if they start failing at the goal, then they're going to think it's their fault more than that the goal is unreasonable. All right, we have two hypotheses proposed here. Which one aligns with you, listener? Okay, study two looks at the workplace health promotions that emphasize individual responsibility versus those that emphasize organizational responsibility. So that one asks, does emphasizing individual responsibility for health lead to an increased in weight-based stigma? Um, probably. All right. So like, we're going to say yes. And an example of this would be like, um, emphasizing individual responsibility would be like signs that say, make healthy choices. And emphasizing the organizational responsibility would be like, we're providing healthier options in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. You see. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, and study three asks if these programs that emphasize individual responsibility can lead to more weight-based discrimination in the context specifically of promotion and hiring decisions in the workplace. Oh, straight yes. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, And they also found some really interesting stuff about how these programs specifically impact employees who are listed as having obesity. So that's cool, too. Which would be both of us. Yeah, apparently. Um, Also... If you are listening and you do self-identify as obese, just know that's rad, okay? All bodies are beautiful. No hate. You don't got to change. You do what feels best for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whilst employees and occupational physicians considered the job and the working conditions as primary risk factors for health, employers considered the employee's personal lifestyle to be the primary risk factor. Now, that seems very context-dependent, because if you're working at a power plant, uh, that's dealing with, like, irradiated chemicals, then I feel like uh, the employer has to assume that those irradiated chemicals would definitely have an impact on that person's health. You'd hope so. Although... Probably not. Probably not! Okay. Yeah, so this is a part of, like, one part of their survey study, and, like, pulling from other studies. Generally, employees are, like, looking at their employer, like, you need to make it easier for me to be healthy. And employers are looking at the employees, and they're like, that's all on you. Eat a goddamn carrot. So there's a fight. There's a fight. There's a fight. No one wants to take responsibility. I definitely think it's more on the employer. Oh, absolutely. The employee, they control a th- like a third of the employee's life and more than half of their waking hours. Like if they're not setting them up with, you know, healthy options in the cafeteria and like opportunities to move their bodies and all of that, if they're exposing them to harmful chemicals, there's nothing the employee can do to counteract that on their own. Seriously. Yeah. But that's my personal opinion. Okay. Now, this is exacerbated, this little fight, by the fact that these programs are generally set up by the employer rather than the employee. I've never heard of a health place promotion program that the employees set up themselves. Why would anyone do that? No. (laughs) (laughs) So they're set up by the employers. And because of that, they're often based on the perception that occupational health is largely the responsibility of the employees, the workers. Not even taking into account that, like, someone could do the exact same thing as another person and not lose any weight off of it. Yeah. Like, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't necessarily going to bring this up, but studies have shown that, for the most part, your, like, level of body fat is mostly genetic. And there are also factors like thyroid conditions and all sorts of injuries and lots of invisible invisible disabilities that control your weight a lot more than any of your choices do. You just gotta do what you gotta do to get through your day and like eat plants and that's that's all. Does funyuns count? 
Sure. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So these research argue that a focus on employee responsibility will contribute to the belief that obesity is controllable. As controllability beliefs are associated with higher weight stigma, such a focus can be expected to result in stigmatization and discrimination towards people with overweight or obesity, which is exactly what we thought when yeah. we were looking at their hypotheses. She's going to snowball. Yep. All right. So let's snowball it up. Study one, the base of the snowman. <laughs> <laughs> so as you recall, this study focuses on the presence of a workplace promotion program. Does that have any effect on how people perceive how controllable weight is for the individual? So for this one, it's just a straight survey using MTurk. Um, 250 respondents is the same size. Yeah, pretty okay. From And so they only included respondents from North America and Western Europe um, because that's the place where they know that these specific types of workplace health promotion programs exist. Mm -hmm. And they excluded those who did not work for an organization. So people who were self-employed or unemployed, they excluded, obviously. Right. The respondents um, were... Uh, 57% female, and the median age was 35.2. So, pretty even. Younger than I expected. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that's your office workers right there. That is true. Yeah. Also, most people that know how to use a computer are under 60. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh, no. We didn't say that. Oh, no. So, to assess whether or not their workplace has a... The survey they took was really, really long and included a bunch of questions that were totally unrelated to their hypothesis, because, again, they don't want people guessing. Just to throw people off the set. Exactly. So, the question that they were looking at um, is pretty simple. Um, At the organization where you work, is there a health place promotion program? (laughs) Yes or no? And then to assess the controllability of health, they were presented with several life events, and for each event they were asked to indicate to what extent they thought it was under the individual's control or outside of the person's control. So there were lots of events presented. Four of them were health-related. So becoming overweight, being overweight, getting cancer, and burnout were the health-related ones that were included. And then there were lots of other ones like being unemployed, having children, winning an Olympic medal. (laughs) And they were presented in randomized order. So the results, 73% of respondents with a workplace health promotion program ranked weight as controllable. Interesting. Of those without a workplace health promotion program, only 22% ranked weight as controllable. That's like almost a direct flip. That's a 50% increase. Right, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Like, I, you know, like that's more than expected. It's kind of like no wonder, though, because like if yeah. you're just walking by all those bullshit signs all day, you're just going to like internalize it. Yeah, especially if it's like the one in the office where there's rewards given out based on how much weight is lost, mm-hmm. then you're going to be like, Jerry over there is not doing doing enough to lose weight and I'm really mad at Jerry and totally in his control and then you get really angry and mark this on a survey I guess <laughs> that's that's is my dramatization of what happened here <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this indicates strongly that um, workplaces with these programs in place um, cause the employees to perceive overweight as something that is in the individual's control so hypothesis one confirmed end of study one gotta love being right yep we got the body of a snowman. All right, let's do the thorax. Yeah, that would be a yeah. good section. Yeah. Humans have a thorax. Study two looked at the impact of these programs emphasizing individual versus organizational responsibility and the impact on stigma. With this one, they did not do it on MTurk. Uh, this one, they actually did it at a European university because it was a lot more involved. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of those, like, 
role play experiments. Oh, interesting. Yes, which I love. I love role play experiments. They're so interesting. I always want to be in them. <laughs> um, okay. Keep an eye for those newspapers. Yes. Uh, if movies are to be believed. Yes. Like every other third movie, there's just a guy like opens up a paper and it's like, I could pay $500 to do this study. Maybe I'm just thinking of that book Firestarter by Stephen King where that specifically happened. Anyway. See, I was thinking of Spider-Man. Doesn't that happen in Spider-Man? I don't think so. Okay. Because Peter was already smart. Fair. Anyway, I see ads on the subway sometimes. They're mm-hmm. like, send us your poop for money. And I'm like, hmm. Yo, I tried that. They said that my poop was uh, unusable to them. Oh, yeah. no. I answered like a survey and, and they said that like, no. Uh, and I was like, you fuckers. Damn. Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm not doing it on out of spite. <laughs> okay. What's study two? All right, study two. Um, they did this in exchange for course credits. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course they <laughs> the did. The participants, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this one had 96 um, students, 34% female, uh, median age 20.5. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and participants were randomly assigned, assigned to one of... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> So that's really funny to me because the uh, initial age for most people going into college would be 17 or 18, which means mm-hmm. that the upperclassmen were much more likely to just do something stupid for extra credit. That makes sense. Because mm-hmm. the average was 20. Yeah. Most people that graduate college mm-hmm. are like 22. Yeah. So these are juniors and seniors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Got all that struggle. Burnout. Um, so participants were randomly assigned to one of four conditions. One, no workplace health promotion program. Two, a workplace health, WHP, okay, workplace health promotion programs will herefore be said to be WHP. Mm -hmm. Got it? All right. So one, no WHP. Two, WHP without any responsibility information. Three, WHP emphasizing organizational responsibility. And four, WHP emphasizing individual responsibility. So the first two conditions are comparable with study one. They represent basically just the presence of the workplace promotion program, no versus yes. And then the last two conditions allow the comparison of individual versus organizational responsibility focus. Gotcha. So participants answered a bunch of questions about their gender, age, weight, height. Um, they calculated all of their BMIs. And then uh, they also were presented with a declaration of health ostensibly from their university, and they were asked to respond to it. So, the university deems it important that employees and students are healthy, have good condition, and are not overweight. That is real fucking mean. I know. Jesus. I know. Um, So, participants were informed that their university was in the process of further developing the declaration and would like to hear their opinion on it. So, that would be your opinion. Oh, that's cool. That is mean. Do not say that. Yeah. What the hell? (laughs) Seriously. Um, so they were asked to engage in a task supposedly unrelated to the health declaration after as mm-hmm. a separate part. Um, so they read about a new study examining how people perceive each other before completing a picture task, which served as a measure of weight stigma for each individual. Gotcha. Yeah. They then completed questions relating to the controllability of overweight among many other questions. So again, throwing them off the scent. Mm-hmm. So group number one with uh, no workplace health promotion. They only got the the original declaration. The second group, no responsibility information. So after reading that declaration, they also read that the university was going to implement several policies to promote the health of employees and students. Policies that could credibly be implemented were chosen with both a focus on individual and organizational responsibility. So a mix. So that's the first two conditions. And then group three, 
which was emphasizing organizational responsibility. So at the end of the declaration, uh, it said, as such, the university takes responsibility to foster the health of their employees and students. Mm-hmm. So, so organizational responsibility. Okay. Yeah. Participants also read further again about the different policies they were going to implement and basically everything talking about the changes that the organization was making and how it encouraged healthy behaviors. Group four was emphasizing individual responsibility. So it was added onto their declaration. As such, the university appeals to their employees and students to take responsibility for fostering their own health. That just sounds like such a cop-out. But like, that's totally what it always is. It is. It is. But it's also a complete fucking cop-out. Yeah. Like the one at the workplace that we have both been employed at before has a steps challenge, mm-hmm. and it's whoever gets the most steps like gets rewarded, so that's 100% on the employees, and it's not fair to their office workers. No, it, no, it is not. No, that's it is point. not. Literally, they have people out in the field walking around all day, and then they have people who they are required to sit at a desk all day, and they're like, here, compete. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. So next they measured the weight stigma for these participants after they went through this whole rigmarole to see how it affected it. So participants were shown pictures of... Just a heads up, I'm starting to get tired hungry. Oh, we have food. And also, we are in study three of four. Okay, okay. Okay. I can finish. Do you want a little snack? No, 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 we're good. Okay, because there's a cucumber in here. Wait! Bites have been... Okay, Madison just offered me a cucumber that bites have been taken out of. Yeah, they did. Do you want to share a cucumber with I me? I don't. I guess I'll have a little bite. Yeah. You're going to leave this part in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get back to psych. All right. So, to measure weight stigma, perception, the participants were shown pictures of two people, which they were asked to imagine that those people were their lecturers. The pictures were drawn from a before-after image on the internet of the same person. Oh, jeez. Yep. So, one overweight and one not. And um, this was not based on BMI. Um, this was based on uh, people's perceptions in a pilot test. Gotcha. So an MTurk study looking at these two people, um, looking at a bunch of different people, and these are the ones who people most reliably related, rated one as overweight and one as not. So just like the most, most reliable. Got yeah, it. exactly. Mm-hmm. So then participants were asked to imagine that these women were their lecturers, and they are presented with several attributes that a university lecturer could possess. And then they were asked to indicate for each attribute whether this attribute most fitted with the woman on the left or the woman on the right. Again, same woman in two different states of being. So a number of attributes were presented and 14 of them were um, fat phobic um, or related with fat phobia. So I'll just list all of the ones that are actually related to fat phobia because these are basically like whistleblow terms for people who stigmatize weight. Industrious, willpower, attractive, slow. Endurance, active, weak, self-indulgent, likes food, insecure, high self-esteem, shapely, overeats, good self-control. Interesting. Yeah. Another item, uh, capable as teacher, was also included in the test um, to test whether weight stigma could manifest itself in biased perceptions for the context of students evaluating their teachers. Interesting results. Analysis of all of these responses showed that weight stigma was significantly higher in the WHP that emphasized individual responsibility compared to the one that emphasized uh, organizational responsibility. Quite a bit higher. And then um, the one that was just 
looking at a workplace health promotion versus one without one at all um, didn't really differ from the other conditions. So, yeah. Um, so together, these results suggest that the presence of these programs does not necessarily contribute to weight stigma. However, that whether or not it emphasizes individual responsibility definitely does. So it could even be more of like the culture of that workplace and how that might like factor in or they weren't investigating that? No. Um, so this shows that just having a workplace health promotion program definitely makes people more likely to think that weight is within individual control, but it doesn't necessarily lead people to stigmatize people who are overweight unless the program is specifically emphasizing individual responsibility. Hmm. Yeah. That tracks. Yeah. I buy it. Mm-hmm. So when the focus did not lie on individual responsibility, people with a high BMI experience lower levels of weight stigma than people with a low BMI. But in an individual-focused program, that would increase the level of weight stigma up to the same level of the low BMI participants' weight stigma. So that suggests that the participants reported more weight stigma when exposed to the individual responsibility, and also that people with a higher BMI reported more weight stigma both when it was present and when it was not. So either way, people with a higher body mass index were more likely to stigmatize other people with a higher body mass index. Huh. Yeah. Because of like mirroring or? Shame, maybe. They just like assume that. Yeah, it's sort of like how a lot of people who are really anti-gay are. Um, Closeted. Yeah, exactly. It's that self-hatred that turns outward. Interesting. Have you ever heard the phrase like anything somebody hates about you, they probably hate about themselves? I have heard that before. It's pretty true in the case of this study. Yeah. Um, which is really sad, and also just goes to show that people's um, perception of you is really none of your business. It's all about them. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, moving forward to study three, um, which is looking deeper into the issue of weight-based discrimination in the context of promotion decisions. So, this is, um, this one they did on MTurk, but it's another, like, role-play experiment. It also looked into weight bias internalization among employees with overweight and obesity in particular. So, the experiment was posted on MTurk as a study about decision-making in HR, and the people who worked in HR were encouraged to participate. So, everybody who participated in this study works in HR. Gotcha. Yes. 250 participants, all employed and located in the U.S. 52% male, median age, 36. Somehow that tracks. I don't know why that makes sense, but I, th yeah. I, I picture, like, an average Toby being, like, 35, 36, something sure. like that. So there was a, um, it was a role play experiment and respondents were asked to take the role of the HR manager in a company called Sturdation, which was said to be a big construction company. Don't like the name. Sturdation. It's a good name for a construction company though. If you say so. Make it all sturdy. All right. So the writing task. Participants were told that Sturdation's viewpoint on who is responsible for employee health, some were told individual, some were told organization, and then they were asked to write a statement about a workplace health promotion program that Sturdation was planning to implement. So, the workplace health promotion program is based on the viewpoint that the health of an employee is the responsibility of half the respondents got the organization, half the respondents got the individual employee. This is because the health of a person is very much influenced by either the environment he or she lives and works in, in terms of availability of healthy food and opportunities to exercise, or his or her own behavior in terms of eating and exercise. Therefore, the task of sturdation is to 
A, offer a healthy work environment, or B, encourage employees to take their own responsibility. So um, the content of the programs in both conditions had the same four actions, healthy food in the canteen, taking the stairs rather than the elevator, offering a health check, which is good, and influencing employees' movement in the office while at work. And the implementation of these actions differed between the conditions. So individual, um, the actions were aimed at encouraging the employees to behave in certain ways, and then the organizational one was aimed at adapting the working environment. So it evoked healthy behavior amongst employees. And the action of offering a health check differed between the conditions. So in the individual responsibility conditions, all of the follow-up actions on the health check were at the cost of the employee. Checks out. <laughs> Where in the organizational responsibility condition, all of the follow-up care was covered by the organization, which again would be so cool. Would be nice. Must be nice. Um, okay. Can you tell we live in the U.S.? <laughs> Ooh. So then a manipulation check question was asked, according to the viewpoint of sturdation, who is responsible for the health of individual employees? So directly after they were presented with one of those two conditions. Um, and then, in your own opinion, who is responsible for the health of individual employees? So, um, in addition to those questions, the text that the respondents wrote in response to the prompt was coded with regard to whether they wrote about individual responsibility, organizational responsibility, or if it was mixed or unclear. And 95% um, wrote a text that matched the condition that they were presented with. 1.7% um, wrote a text contrary to their condition, which I'm <laughs> like, only 1.7 of y'all are rebels, but it's HR, so. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But I hate that, because if I were to HR and they were like, we're going to do this health promotion program and we're going to make it everyone's fault, I'd be like, no. So I'd be 1.7%. I don't think I would ever see you in an HR position uh, in the first place. <laughs> Doesn't seem very Madison. Yeah. And then 3.4, we're just confused. <laughs> which... Okay, yeah, fair. <laughs> the Tobies of mm -hmm. the world. Um, and so they took away the unclear ones and um, the ones that were contrary. Okay, so after they d weeded them out in that way, then they asked each person to write a persuasive text to convince the advisory board that this type of promotion program was the best one to do. Um, and they were instructed to make the viewpoint of sturdation very clear, convince the supervisory board of the viewpoint, and explain how the measures being implemented in the program aligned with Sturdation's viewpoint. So they were not told how long it had to be, but they were taken out of the study if it was shorter than 180 characters. Mm -hmm. Then um, after writing the text, they were asked three questions about their agreement with the program and their satisfaction with the company. And the questions were intended to let the manipulation sink in. So they weren't part of the hypothesis testing. It was just because this is like a, a simulation instead of an actual program, basically it's like to substitute the time of going through this in real life. Yeah, give them time to breathe. Exactly. Then they were presented with a hiring task. So they took an advisory role in an internal application procedure for the vacancy of a senior policy advisor. They saw a short CV and a photo, again, of the same two candidates from the previous experiment. So they were named Lucy and Megan, and they were asked to indicate their hireability. So for half of the respondents, a photo of the woman with overweight from the previous experience was coupled with Lucy's CV, and a photo of a woman with normal weight was coupled with Megan's, and for the other half, it was switched. So that's to make sure that we're not doing it based on name. Right. Yeah. 
And then the order that the candidates were presented, as well as whether Lucy or Megan was with overweight, was totally randomized, and respondents were asked to indicate the higher ability of each candidate. Also, a suspicion probe was presented that asked respondents to write down what they thought of the research question was for the study, and if they gave um, an answer to that question that indicated that they thought that they were testing, like, weight stigma, they were out. So the candidate was judged as less hireable when she was overweight compared to without overweight, indicating weight-based discrimination only in the individual responsibility program. Wow. Yeah. So pretty telling. Clear very cut. telling. Yeah. So it, it was it was very clear cut. The numbers are crazy. Almost twice as likely to say that they wanted to hire the skinnier candidate. So there you go. Um, so that supports the hypothesis that we stated here at the beginning, that the mere presence of these programs does affect the controllability of weight, but what is really toxic about these programs is when they put all of the emphasis on individual responsibility. That's when you start getting people working in the company, literally not hiring people because they're overweight, um, and really stigmatizing people who have these conditions and having real effects on their lives that have nothing to do with anything under their control. Is the individual responsibility what the CDC encourages? The CDC doesn't encourage either way, oh, okay. um, but because the programs are set up by the employers and overwhelmingly the employers see it as individual responsibility because they don't want to take responsibility for anything, the right. majority of these programs focus on individual responsibility, especially in the U.S. because of American individualism. Ugh. Yeah. Which, as we know from the pandemic, causes some problems. Yeah, kind of killing a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and then the interesting thing that they found out um, about people who are obese who participated in this program is that programs that highlighted the individual responsibility also disproportionately induced obese employees to feel individually responsible for their health. But at the same time they actually perceived weight as less controllable. So kind of what you said at the beginning. So it did increase their, their stigma, but because they're in the programs, it's not working. They were like, it's not in my control and I'm just a piece of shit, basically. Mm -hmm. Which, ow. Yeah, that sucks. Ow. Yeah. So together, this research identifies workplace health promotion programs as a potent catalyst of weight stigma and weight-based discrimination, especially when they emphasize individual responsibility for health outcomes. And as such, they would like to offer some valuable insights for organizations to aim to design and implement workplace health promotion programs in an inclusive, non-discriminatory way that actually benefits all employees. And, you know, their suggestions are all about framing it differently, making it about talking to, like, improving communication between higher-ups and workers at an organization and empowering workers to ask for things that would help them improve their individual health or the health of their team. Gotcha. So being like, hey, can we get those bouncy ball chairs? And then saying yes to that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, or allowing um, people to work from home if that's better for them. So having the individual emphasis be on the choice rather than the responsibility. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, which I thought was really cool and aligns a lot with how I view the workplace. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, um, that's essentially the study. 
And, um, I'll just, I'll read their conclusion sentence because I think it's pretty good. Our research thus suggests that workplace health promotion programs might be less beneficial for employees than expected, especially when they emphasize individual responsibility for health. Specifically, our results demonstrate that clear communication of organizational rather than individual responsibility for health could interrupt the automatic association of controllability with responsibility and ultimately blame. In addition, such organizational responsibility attribution in addition, such organizational responsibility attribution may induce the right motivation of those targeted to change their behavior. This notion is based on insight showing that using non-moral language is more motivating than using moralizing language, which holds for diverse topics such as climate change, poverty reduction, immigration policy, and of course, obesity. So there you go. And then because this is a touchy subject, and I'm sure many of our listeners have dealt with stigma in their lives. Um, I just wanted to record, to add a little corner here at the end, uh, some tips for dealing with being on the raw end of stigma. Huh. Um, and these come to us from the Australian Association for Mental Health Treatment, which I know we're not in Australia, but I liked their tips. So here they are. Um, sometimes you hear or experience something often enough, you start to believe it yourself. Try not to let other people's ignorance influence the way you feel about yourself. Talking about any health issues with healthcare professionals will help you on your road to recovery or management. If you run into stigma in the place you go to seek help, seek another place. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. Yeah, right exactly. Do not hide away. Many people with stigmatized illnesses want to isolate themselves from the world. Reaching out to the people you trust, family, friends, coaches, or religious leaders can mean you get the support that you need. Again, if you are rejected or stigmatized by the people you reach out to, seek others. Connect with others. Join a support group, either online or in person. Connecting with others who are experiencing the stig same stigma can help you deal with feelings of isolation and make you realize that you're not alone in your feelings and experiences. And finally, you are not what other people think of you. Do not define yourself by others' perceptions. Instead of saying something like, I am schizophrenic, say, I have schizophrenia. So instead of saying, I am fat, say, I have fat. There is power in language. You are more than the qualities that people point out about you. Love it, that. Yeah. Remember that other people's judgments often come from a lack of understanding or personal shame rather than anything else. These judgments are made before they get to know you, so do not believe that their views have anything to do with you personally. Yeah, don't want to go kick rocks. Exactly. So that is what we will leave you with today. Dear listeners, if there's anything about yourself that you feel like you need to hide, find some people who embrace that thing about you. Yeah. Because guess what? The world needs all sorts. If you like to leave half-eaten cucumbers just kind of chilling on your phone and then take a bite out of it every now and then, um, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. Share it with your friend Jared while you're recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Note that this uh, is an actual real-life example, and I was baffled to look over and see a cucumber on top of Madison's <laughs> journal. Yeah. But, you know, uh, you roll with the punches uh, in this podcast. You gotta always have a cucumber around, just in case. That's my personal <laughs> personal belief. Um, but in general, the thing that you got made fun of for in middle school is probably one of the most charming things about you. So let your freak flag fly, and uh, love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.